0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another rousing rendition of what we like to call the Brethren Podcast. That's Brethren, B R E A D, like bread, because we always talking about that bread and we always about our bread. And when I say we, I always have to give honor to my two wonderful co hosts, Dr. Ajamu Loving, PhD, and DJ Destry and Wills. How y'all doing tonight, gentlemen? Outstanding, man. Great. Yeah, man. Doing Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um,. Before before y'all even you know blast me out about it you know we did mention that I have a child on the way and I am very proud to announce that my child is now here. She is also in the studio with us right now. She's napping and she says good day to you all. <laughs> <Well>, Salutations <laughs> are definitely given to Miss Avery. Yes yes welcome to the world young lady. Yes yes, yes y'all and we don't stop. <laughs> and congratulations to you Arthur man um, you're gonna be an amazing father. And, uh, hats off to Shannon as well. Very good to know that she's doing well. She's going to be an amazing mother. I can't wait to meet Avery. I'm sure that, uh, the wife and I will be up to Long Island soon to check you guys out. Oh, yes. You know, y'all are always welcome. And, uh, before we get too deep in I just want to say that, you know, that whole process of bringing a child into this world, I have a very much newfound respect for all women, all mothers, and in particular <laughs> my wife and, uh, you know, not to toot my own home, but I did a, I did a good job on my own, but my wife did an amazing job. So I definitely want to thank her for, you know, embarking on this journey and taking the bulk of the load, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can I can wholeheartedly promise you if I know Shannon like I think that I know Shannon, she's going to find a way to balance that load out for you over the next uh 18 semi years, so (laughs) the fact that Avery's in the studio with you right now (laughs) does not surprise me, but uh, it's going to be great, man. It's going to be great. Yeah, I
1: I don't know what else is going to be said this evening, but I can tell you that uh, thanking your wife might have been the smartest word um, that will be said this evening. It's definitely going to be in contention, I can promise you that.
0: Oh, yes, strategic (laughs) moves to maintain the power circle and the strategic partnerships here within. Hey,
1: good
0: job, good (laughs) job. It's part of of the language of the contract. Compliments must be given and uh, Mm -hmm. honor must be given at all times. But um, we definitely want to take the time to, you know, Thank and appreciate everybody that's been supporting and listening to us and giving us feedback. We've heard great things so far, and we promise to, you know I'm saying, bring y'all better content and better quality, you know, as time goes on. And make sure that you are checking us out at anchor.fm slash Pod. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N-P-O-D, Bridgen Pod, And you can follow us on Instagram at Bridgen Pod. Um, you can also find all three of us at our different social media outlets, uh, ajamuloving.com, com, and mmbbgw.com. And that's how you can stay up to date with us. Um, but we're going to hop right into the topic tonight, you know. And, uh, as usual, we always like to start it off, uh, gentlemen. I am sipping on, you know, as usual, Wood for Reserve. I'll probably be on this until that bottle's gone. So that's what I foresee, <laughs> but I'll sipping on Wood for Reserve. Uh, Dr. Levin, what are you on? Uh the, you know it's it's week. So I'm taking
1: it light and doing the beer thing today, man. This is the, this nice, cool, crisp American lobster. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. yes. Yes, 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 Always a good choice. Uh DJ, what are you on? Hey man, um anything is possible. So uh I'm over here with my <laughs> standard drink. I have the uh the Hennessy floor. Yes, yes. Is it is it just regular Hennessy or Hennessy White again? No, we've uh we've uh, we've filtered back to the uh the regular Hennessy uh we'll we'll save the Hennessy wife for Dallas' birthday. Oh yes yeah, a classic. An upcoming birthday for the young prince. Always <laughs> welcome as usual. Let's embark on a wonderful conversation, let's drop knowledge and game and let's talk about our bread. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers to you, bro. Alright, so this week we uh we wanted to we kinda alluded to it last week. When we were talking about um, emotional intelligence and, you know, we kept reminding people that before you tap out, tap in, which is tapping to your emotional intelligence so that you can become a better asset for yourself and for your organization. And we kind of alluded to avoiding the box that is possible when, you know, when you encounter certain situations, especially in the corporate landscape and also in the, in, the, um, in your personal landscape. So we, um, you know, that's the topic that we're kind of going to kind of focus on. We'll branch off into some other things, but avoiding the box. And, uh, Dr. Levin, I want to start with you as far as, uh, you know, in a, in a professional sense, what do you, what do you deem, what is your definition of, you know, the so-called box? Uh, and what does the phrase avoiding the box mean to you?
1: Uh, that, uh, good question. All right. So for me, when I think about the box, I think about silo. Um, antiquated sort of group thought that never really strives to do something different because you as a company, an institution, a group have been used to doing the same thing, right? And, uh, you, there, there's some wise folks to talk about. How if you do the same thing over and over expecting a different result, then you are operating the operational definition in that case of insanity. And I think that, um, if you are going to, if you're going to go new places and do new things, then you have to start to get outside of what has been comfortable or completely traditional or all of the things that you've been doing. Now that's not to say that everything that you've been doing needs to be completely abandoned. But at the same time, you have to be willing um, to try new things and willing to open your mind. And I think that's the most important part of it, opening your mind to new possibilities that you hadn't opened your mind to previously. And so when I think about getting out of the box, that's what it means to me.
0: Most definitely Um, DJ in, in, your, in your opinion, What is, you know, what is that box and what does the phrase avoiding the box mean to you? Uh, Because what what we're going to gear to is um, we were talking, you know, amongst ourselves and, you know, we're going to kind of correlate the imposter syndrome. And, you know, once you do that, I want to I want to throw out some some titles to you all. But real quick, before you start, Dr. Levin mentioned, you know, it's like group sync. And I want you to kind of speak towards, you know, from from leadership perspectives, how if the leader has been placed into a box by either the organization or themselves, how that affects that group think and, you know, kind of boxing the entire group in because they're trying to align, you know, their workers underneath them into that same box. <clears throat> well, i tell you what, um I'll give you a few words that would describe it. Number one is dangerous. Extremely dangerous, number two it's not profitable. Number three, devastating and the the reason why I bring those phrases up is because in order to really unlock the uh, the potential in the organization, you have to have leaders that are free to engage people and meet them where they are and allow them to grow into different roles <clears throat> by employing the various talents that they have. Um, One of the biggest challenges and hurdles that I think we face as leaders and also as employees, specifically in the corporate landscape, is the fact that when you interview for a role, you're typecasted. A lot of times that role is not robust and it does not represent the full capabilities or potential that you have. So, you know, we're taught to either cater a resume to the role or cater the conversation to a role. As opposed to showing the robust skills and aptitude that we may have as individuals, that would allow the leaders or the hiring managers, so to speak, to really tap into some of the things that we may be able to provide outside of that specific role. So when I think about avoiding the box, it it brings up everything that's wrong with the corporate landscape, and not necessarily the things that are right. That group thought really leads to a lot of homogeneous types of decisions. And at least of people making decisions in a vacuum. And when that's done, you can't really, you can't really tap into the genius of the group. And what you tend to do is do exactly what Dr. Lovin alluded to. You create silos and people that are most alike click up and they form their various opinions around the organization or the direction that is going. And that's not really beneficial to anyone. So, when I hear those words and I think about those words and I think about what they've meant to me in my career, from a leadership perspective, dangerous, devastating, and, and non-profitable. I just wanted to point out, because you know I'm a country boy, so I was thinking silos like country silos where you store the grain, but I just want everybody to know that silos <laughs> is also a verb you need to isolate, where you uh, you isolate one system or process or department from the others. Um, so just wanted to make that distinction. But DJ, you, you you brought up a good point and you brought up a key word. I wanted to just point out to everybody. For those who take notes, we heard that a lot of people were taking notes on the episodes. But typecasting and and often we you know we we associate that with the, with the entertainment world and specific acting roles being typecast. But in the corporate world, typecasting is definitely a thing. Um, and I just wanted to you know pose a pose a form of question to you all in terms of kind of gearing it towards the imposter syndrome that can come about when you know you're typecast in terms of diversity. And I I I want both of you all to elaborate on that, but especially when it comes to like checking the box. Whereas, oh, you went to such and such school, you have, you know, such and such qualifications, you have such and such extracurricular activities, and you also check this minority box so, therefore, you qualify as what we're looking for when it comes to diversity, which, like you mentioned, DJ, is one of those things, if that's the group think for the organization, then that can also be dangerous. It can not be profitable because it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the best bang for your buck. So, I want to throw it back to you and then we'll throw it to Dr. Loving of just, you know, the, the, the severe impacts of typecasting in terms of trying to create diversity because once you're, in, in all honesty... The box is, you know, in in essence, a typecasting of sorts. Whether you put yourself into it or you were brought into the box and not even knowing that that was the reason you were brought in. So I just wanted you to speak on that point a little bit. No, you make a you make a great point, and I think that when we when we take a look at this, you take a step back, you look at some of the recent events that have happened over the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about this as a group. You know, you look at some of the things in the news relative to um, uh, some of these, these uh, celebrities getting their kids into certain universities and the, I would say the, the tools that they create or the process or system in which they create to support and facilitate the things that happen over the course of a very long period of time is very structured. That's a typecasting of of its own, but then you also have minorities that are combating those things as well. So, you take me for an example, I'm a proud product of a historically black college and university, Tuskegee University, and I would tell you that I have been well-equipped to walk into any room that I've ever walked into from a corporate perspective, be able to speak my mind, speak intelligently, and hold my own. Now, I also think that when you think about these things, you have to think about the uh, the environment in which these things happen. Now, you look at Tuskegee, and you went there so you know Dr. John Loving went to Morehouse. Those are very proud brands who have had a storied history. Uh, there's longevity around the accreditation process and what have you. So even as it relates to typecasting amongst historically black colleges and universities, we are graduates of some of the finest in the country with the longevity and name behind it that will allow some credence to your uh, positioning in terms of the corporate landscape. Now, we look at some others who have had a very storied history but run into some problems. Folks that have graduated from some of these universities are often ostracized, criticized, or ridiculed, and they're unable to attain employment. And I think Ultimately, it's unfair because they're not being judged on their merit. They're being judged on, you know, some of the political processes that a university has to go through in order to keep its accreditation. I think the vast difference lies in the fact that some of these students don't have other options. They also don't have the parents with the resources that can afford, you know, to pay $500,000 to get them into the college of their choice and then turn around and pay hundreds of thousands of more dollars to get them through college. You know, many uh, minority candidates are going into severe debt just to gain an opportunity to expose themselves to higher education, and that's one of the largest cost structures that they have in their lives post-graduation. When you look at this system that's perpetuating this you end up in a situation where uh, there was an article that I read that talks about the support that goes on over a lifetime. You have some individuals that attend these prestigious universities who do not have the grades to get in. They're getting in over candidates that do, and some of those candidates are minority candidates. But they also have the types of families that can put in place coaches from an early level. So I'm going to teach you or hire someone to write your essay I'm going to hire a corporate coach for you. You have the proper last name that, you know, you sound like an executive. You look like an executive. You have a presence and such. So a lot of these things are set in place prior to something uh, academic ever happening. So when we talk about an imposter syndrome, sometimes things are set in motion well in advance of you getting there, and if you don't really know who you are, And you can't avoid that box, so to speak, to say, well, hey, you know, that role is for him or her, and these roles are for you. You have to get outside of that and own who you are. You get to define who you are. Your time, talent, and abilities are just as important as anyone else's. And I think that we have to be careful to impart that upon our graduates of historically black colleges, universities degree-certified folks, uh, veterans, and et cetera, because a lot of these people have the skills necessary to truly lead and transform organizations. They just don't have the proper last name or they haven't had a corporate coach hired. So one of the things that's really encompassing in in avoiding the box is defining yourself and really getting uh, mentorship and understanding what it is you want to accomplish and how it is you can go about doing it but it is critically important that you establish and you own that for yourself well put so Dr. Levin what I want to pose to you is because DJ brought up some great points that I want you to not in, not in essence counter but to kind of just go deep and give insight with it because he brought up the fact you know we're all products of HBCUs and in terms of you know recent allegations and scandals of sorts um, in a sense, we can think about it as a lot of those children because we 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 all came across the article where they were talking about it wasn't necessarily an article, but we'll say that for you know for purposes here we came across the article where it was just breaking down the whole entire process of how that thing really works is where you know they were you know their coaches hired and mentors hired to where not necessarily the qualified person is getting positions and getting into these schools, but then they were kind of groomed to where they were in essence put into a box, and then they in essence, have become imposters and not even know it because it's just the way things go for them. But then also, on the flip side, when it comes to people like us, people like ourselves, minorities in the workplace, and people that come from uh, HBCUs, where we're typecasted and put into what is, you know, the like, in essence, that black box. To where it's, hey, you came from a well-to-do black school, and you've done well-to-do things We need you here to make us look good, in essence, for diversity. And you've been typecasted, an affirmative action role, if you will. But then also on the flip side, you've got the the others who have been placed into a box by their own, you know, in order to prolong and uh, and prolong, you know, the, the family name, the legacy and things of that nature. So I just wanted to kind of pose, you know, pose that to you to kind of, you know, draw your points from that of the flip sides of both where we're put into boxes because that's, you know, Here's the open black box for diversity versus, you know, we're creating this box for you, my child, because this is the way that we do it in our family legacy. The Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and, you know, and such. So that's the, that's what I want to pose to you, Dr. Loving.
1: Yeah, well, I will, I will start off by saying that not all boxes are created equal, right? Because box boxes, the box that oversees all of the other boxes, <laughs> yes. it's more money than, the, than all of the other boxes. It looks at you from your position as though you are the individual who somehow got lucky or got past the fact that you didn't have sufficient talent and skill to get there, but you got there based on your skin color, right? And I think that there are a lot of black people and, and other minorities, and women certainly, who f- have felt this feeling of being patronized by these folks from these other boxes, the, the Martin J. McGillicuddy type folks whose parents paid for everything and they never had to struggle a day, and they think by virtue of their lack of struggle, somehow this makes them better and more suited to lead, which baffles me in a lot of ways because when you think about um, whether it's a battlefield or sports or anything else, most of the time, the team respects a coach or a leader who's been in the trenches and actually had to go through it, had some difficulty, got some dirt on them, right? Got some scars. So, you want to see when you are looking towards someone that you want to lead you through a difficult time or take you to a place that you've never been. And so it's ironic to me that the people who had to struggle and sit in that financial aid line, I, you
0: no, I don't
1: know what the financial aid line looks like at Tuskegee. Yeah, I've seen it at More. Man, quite similar, right? You got I,
0: I, I, I want to inject the point that I want to inject the point. And I think most people will agree all HBCUs are in essence created equal because I think that process is the same across the board.
1: <laughs> e- efficient, so efficient. They all go to lunch at the same time. What? No, it's it's one of those deals. Well, you've had, you've had some tough time. things things weren't as automated at your university. You had to figure a lot of stuff out besides the work in the classroom. Oh, and let me assure you, man, the textbooks that they're using at these high-end universities are the same ones that they're using at the satellite schools and the, uh, you know, the company schools for different states, and they're the same ones you're using at the HBCUs. If you know your stuff, then you know your stuff, right? The question is how confident you are about knowing your stuff and the different applications to which you can apply your stuff, right? That kid that's come from a certain background may have seen more related to investment banking than you have. You may have been exposed in the summers to things that you had not been exposed to during high school and maybe even younger years. So, yeah, there, there, there could be some things that you need to catch up on, But I would encourage anybody, especially people who are at a great height but had neither beginnings, that's where all of the great stories are. That's where a lot of the great fortunes are built, or at least the way their stories start. And so the importance of of, uh, not getting in the box thinking is, is to recognize that because of your background, because of, you know, your skin color, the school you came from—there are people who seek to put you in a box that that's not consistent with the, the true level of ability that you have within you. And so, what we're all trying to say here is that we want you to shine to the level you ought to shine. Right? Put yourself in the positions that you uh, that you deserve to be in by virtue of your talent, by virtue of your hard work, by virtue of how original you can be with your thought and how impactful those thoughts can be to create real productivity for the companies that you're working with and for, for yourself beyond that, right? And so when uh when we talk about an imposter syndrome, you never hear people who are who are rich, whose parents uh paid for all of these classes, and made huge donations to the colleges, um the feelings like an imposter or at least expressing that feeling it's always the individual who scrapped and worked hard and saved and had to work jobs while they were in college and had student loans. Those are the individuals who somehow feel like well maybe I don't belong here, and part of it cultural right part of it especially if you're in something that's uh you know investments or um um uh, uh Higher order banking, the private equity and those things. Culturally, those folks have gone to the same day schools. They've gone to the same, uh, you know, the, the same um, expensive high schools and colleges, and belong to the same fraternities in many cases. So yeah, I can see how you might feel like an outsider in certain ways. But in all ways material in terms of your ability to actually get the job done, in many cases you can run circles around these folks, but you have to choose to do so. And you have to recognize that you might not be running those circles in the same places they're running them. It might not be at their firm, you know, where um, where all of that uh, pomp and circumstance is, is respected. Learn the craft, know how to do it, and maybe you start your own firm or work with a firm where that, that gutty underdog person respects what it is that you bring to the table, and they want you to do, um, to do the things that are going to set you apart and make their company different, stronger, in ways that, uh, that, that the companies that are, that are more settled and, um, and, uh, and and, and white collary looking in terms of their approach, they might not appreciate the hustle that you bring to the table. So you don't always you don't always get the hustle at the same place. Not everybody is going to appreciate what you bring to the table equally. It's important that you appreciate it and you understand that you can run um, wherever it is that you need to
0: run to be
1: successful.
0: You know. You know. I, hold on, so, real real quick, DJ. Real quick, DJ. Um, I don't want you to lose your point, but I want to throw something to you because Dr. Levin really gave a good setup for what I wanted to pose to you in particular is because, you know, diversity is kind of a commodity at this point in time, and we can be honest about it, where we know that a lot of companies are doing things where they're screwing up and they're embracing diversity all of a sudden to, you know, in a PR shuffle to like, okay, let's clean it up. But then all of the companies in the background are noticing and saying, "Okay, let's go ahead and embrace diversity." So they're creating these boxes. Um, and so DJ, what I want to pose to you and throw to you is, how do you know how do people embrace that box, but also at the same time avoid the box they're being put in? So we know that that box is being placed there for a purpose. It's like, "Hey, doors are open. We need you." In a sense, but what you know, I want you to talk to the point of. Getting that box, taking advantage of that box, but also avoiding the box that you're being typecast for. And kind of, Dr. Levin kind of alluded to it where it's like, okay, we're in the door. Let's, let's really use these skills so that people have to respect the talent versus, you know, I'm being brought in for a specific purpose. So I wanted to throw that to you and, you know, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, man, I, I can definitely take that. So, um, start, start with this. You, you, you brought up the, point earlier about HBCUs and just the process by which they kind of mold you. I think that it's it's meant to make you work for it. Most friends that I have that have attended HBCUs talk about, you know, having to persevere and struggle through things. And I think that is true. You know, when when I landed in my corporate role, you know, I felt like I feel like if this is all you got for me, then okay, great. But what organizations feel is we we, got, we have to give you a little bit at a time. In order to take, and and I use that word intentionally, in order to take or demand what it is you deserve and want, there are very specific steps that you need to take. One of the first things you need to do is make sure that your manager and or team is tied to your direct success. So one of the things that I began to implement for myself and for also for folks that I'm close to and knew, if I was going into a role, a review or what have you, the first thing I did, I'd never wait until the manager says it's time for a review. If there is an annual review, I do it semi-annually. If there is a, if there is a semi-annual review, we do it quarterly because I don't want to give you the opportunity to blindside me by saying I haven't been doing the things that are necessary to move forward. You also want to make sure that you provide some type of stretch, assignment, or a goal or initiative for yourself outside of what your manager or leader wants you to have. So I developed a three page PowerPoint. I go in, it's very similar, simple, simple author. I talk about here's the role that I have or the box that you put me in. Here's what I'm doing to accomplish those things. Here are my list of things that I have decided that I would like to stretch myself and do outside of my role that you as my manager or leadership team have agreed would be beneficial for my career. And here are the things that I've asked you to provide for me in order to ensure that these things are happening. So on a quarterly basis, I walk in and I ask, am I meeting the bar relative to my box, so to speak? Yes, I am. Okay, we can check that. Where am I relative to these stretch assignments? Have I met or exceeded your expectations as it relates to this? Can we move on to something even more expansive than this? And are you willing to commit additional resources to me in order to help me do it? When you have those frequent check-ins, that relieves or removes any doubt when you walk into your annual review, your semi-annual review, How am I performing? What am I doing? How do I stack those into my peers? Because just because it's not my job, if I see you putting someone else on a trajectory of where I want to be, I'm going to include those things in my stretch assignments. So if that means that I need to travel around the country and speak um, on behalf of the company, then so be it. I'll raise my hand to do that. If it means that, hey, you know, if you really want to be one of the executive leaders here, you have to be willing to travel at least 50% of the time. So you have to identify the things that are going to get you outside of that box but then more importantly, you need to determine are you willing to commit to do the things that are necessary and required of you, which in all likelihood it's a cakewalk to you compared to what it would be for others because you are accustomed to traveling the road less traveled. You have a lot of folks who complain about coming into a job, they sit down every day and it's minimal work. It just requires you to think a little bit. For many of us, we've had to work, go to college, and figure out something at home at the same time. So when you pose that question to me, it's, it's really second nature. It's a law of survival that kicks in because that's what I've been taught to do my entire life. But as Dr. Jamu talked about earlier, it's the confidence of deploying and embracing those skills that have been put within you i think that all, all too often we discount and discredit the ability to survive and sustain ourselves and that is the staying power that you need when you get into the corporate landscape because it's a mental grind you're not out uh, in a 100 degree weather you know uh putting down the pavement or the concrete but you are in a 100 degree weather as it relates to your character, your uh, pedigree, your background, your, uh, you know, basically all the things that make you you, that's the temperature that's turned up on you to evaluate who you are. And if you're not comfortable, you can meld in those situations. But I think that the, the molding that we get from the universities that we attend and also from our support systems, that typecasting should be something that we embrace because what it allows you to do is know the devil that you're dealing with, so to speak, or, you know, now that I know the rules of engagement, I can now exploit them. So if I know, Hey, here's what I'm being given, I'm going to be evaluated on this level. I can easily take this role and expand it and use it for my benefit, not only for mine, but for the benefit of the organization. Because again, you have skills that your manager does not know about because you applied and were accepted into that specific role, and that's all they care about you doing. So is that? So definitely, you know, Doctor Levin, I wanna, I wanna throw it to you under what DJ just said because he, you know, we kind of he talked about embracing that box, but I want you to kind of go into. We're talking about this box and a box has four sides and boxes can be all different sizes because we can have a very specific box that says you have to hit all of these points to be typecast and put into this particular box. Or we can have this very broad box to where we can put a couple of people in this box because, you know, you only have to hit one or two qualifications. But I want you to kind of speak to the pressure of the box depending on what that box is because you can have that box that just simply says, you know, we need This, this, and this. And a lot of people can fit into that box and be, you know, what we're, what we're saying can be typecast to that role. But once you're into that box and you've embraced that box, like DJ said, you know the rules of engagement now. Speak to the pressures of that box and, you know, overcoming those pressures to do what DJ said and kind of escape out of that box where we're talking about avoiding it. But just talk about the pressures of said box.
1: And and I think this is a, an important sort of direction to go to, right? Because a lot of times when you're hired, and it's uh done it. We have achieved diversity. And if you're a person who has a degree and you have the ability to label that as one, then now they can say we've not just achieved and then what happens is the uh the, as you mentioned of the box, right? People say well this is how we've done things here in the past when you try to press the change something, right? When you start talking about at Tuskegee, right? Well, typically we we go to uh we go to these big state schools and we go to we, we go to darkness and we go to these Ivies, and, and that's where we go. That's typically what we've done. And the pressure is for you to say, oh, what you've done is good. Let's continue to do that. And there's nothing they like more than for the new black person to say, that their old policies and procedures lived up to something that was okay in terms of creating diversity, right? If if you co-sign it, it's all good, right? And so the problem is there is that, that pressure that exists within the corporation, that inertia that companies have in terms of wanting to be like they are that can start to affect you. If you let it, you start thinking, well, maybe I need to learn how to play golf better. That's my problem, right? Is that they're not inviting me to things because I need to learn how to play golf better. Maybe I need to. Maybe I don't need to call myself a Jammu. Maybe I need to call myself AJ, that'll be easiest for people to to pronounce, and they'll be more comfortable for them. And what you start doing is shaping your box within the box to keep yourself more palatable to everybody else. Mm. Instead of pushing on the edges, which is why they say they brought you there, to try to to change and transform the way that uh, this company relates to people that are different than their traditional or or the clients they had in the past. I talk to my students all the time about how business is a forward-looking opportunity. You are doing your company a disservice. When you dim your light when it comes to diversity, because the future of this country is a diverse one, right? And so the future clients of any successful company of the future are going, it's going to have to be able to serve those needs of diverse people, right? So the ability to see that uh, um, a shirt with a big black circle face on it with bright red lips, is something that could easily be seen as offensive to black folks is one thing, because I think we can all see it. But to feel empowered enough to say something is another. And so part of that is on the corporation, right? But also part of it is on you, because you don't want to – The one of the most disappointing things that I saw from a person that I admire was the individual talking about how – We can't be ourselves. We can't afford to push against things that we think are wrong and just lean just on integrity because it's too expensive and you could end up putting yourself in a place where you don't get paid anymore, right? There are things that are more important than money. And if you push the integrity in the right type of way, you can still get paid in other ways. But what you can't get back is those times that you lost where you swallowed your pride and sat there like a gump where you did things that you know were wrong. you don't have to live with that forever, okay? And so it's important to me, I always say people are more important than things. Your integrity, your values, the things that actually shape you are more important than the company that you work for and the stuff that you're doing. Let your effort be a reflection of those values. Let the what your voice be a reflection of what you think is right. Okay, and let your your let that effort lead you to get the, to um, acquiring the type of skills necessary so that you'll be valuable no matter what. But if they don't, if, if they disagree with the, with your with your approach in terms of the culture of the company, then maybe that company is not the one for you, right? That's okay. Things change. You've gained a very useful experience, and you'll have that next opportunity around the bend. But when you start compromising your integrity and you start folding yourself into some cartoonishly sad percentage of who you ought to be, man. The therapeutic expense associated with building yourself back up has got to be enormous, anyway. If not impossible to, to to accomplish, all right. So the stakes, in my opinion, are high. Right? You only get one one you, and so you need to be able to you need to be able to to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, "Man, I gave my best to try to accomplish a lot on behalf of this company." for myself, to represent all of the people who sold into me throughout my life and do things in a way that we can all be proud of, right? Even if you ain't feeling the happiest about the results and you didn't get the money out of it that you wanted, you can still look back on what you did with some some pride and respect for yourself. Whereas if you do things the other way, you might have a ton of money and find that that reflection in the mirror is difficult to look at because you're ashamed of yourself or even worse, you don't even recognize who that person is because you've allowed the environment to distort you and deform you to such a degree that you've just become some quasi moto type monster
0: figuratively,
1: right? In terms of how you live your life and how you
0: express yourself so not i mean i love the way i love the way i love the way dr lovin always you know really throws in his slogan in the in the most you know assilent per, um, persistent way is you know if it flows in the conversation people over things that is you know is it's is almost you know honestly the a tagline and a motto for the show um but we're going to definitely you brought up you brought up some several points that we're going to definitely dive really deep into in the after show. So I just definitely want to remind people that, you know, that's an opportunity where we really get personal with the topic. You know, we focus a lot on, you know, the business and the, the the business and the corporate aspects, you know, in the main show, but the after show is where we really take it to a personal level and get really real with it. You know, like, like the real world, you say when people stop being polite and things start getting real, real world, whatever city you in. Um, but, DJ, we're gonna take this time to, you know, go ahead because you wanted to bring up some, some some systemic issues when it comes to avoiding the box. So I'll let you close it out with that, and then Doctor Levin, you uh, you'll give your closing remarks right after DJ. Yeah, man. So, you know, like you said, we we can dive much deeper into this in the after show, but this is a systemic issue at its core. When you when you look at the landscape and the environment in which we're operating in. I am from, I am from Selma, Alabama, not far from where you grew up, Arthur. And I personally know families that have been impacted by zoning and districts and where your kids can go to school. And I know people that have been arrested and jailed for simply having their child go to school in a better school district five miles from where they live. And when you take a look at, you know, folks setting up basically entire teams to give their kids a better opportunity at being successful. We have a systemic issue that on, on one hand, while we're seeing the the chickens kind of come home to roost recently, we have, we have one set of rules that apply to some folks that say, Hey, you know what? You gotta give your child every opportunity you can to be successful. And, if that means creating a team for them and making sure that they get the best opportunities, by all means, do it. And those teams are in place for them from birth, in many cases throughout their integration into the corporate landscape. There are no penalties for that for the most part. There are people that I know that are doing serious jail time for simply saying, hey, I happen to know that the school five miles from where I live it's a better school than what my kid would be zoned for, and so I want them to go there. I'll use let's just say my my mother's address because my kid lives there half the time, and I'm going to send my kid to a better school. We have something severely wrong when we're punishing people for trying to simply send their kid to a better un uh, not university but school, but we are excusing the behavior of which I can pay to have my kid have a head start in life. I think that really speaks to the root of the systemic issues that we have in this country because it goes beyond race and gender. This is a socioeconomic issue. If you have the resources to buy your way uh, into the higher ranks of the corporate echelon, in a lot of ways you can't. Because Doctor Jammu hit it on the head. Uh, if you can play golf well, if you present well, and uh, you uh, you're a good-looking gentleman, and you know we can groom you, then maybe you have a chance. We can get you on a board. You know you don't have to be the brightest person, but we'll we'll figure it out. We can hire a bunch of bright people to work for you. Everyone's not afforded that opportunity, so we really have to look at things from a systemic standpoint and realize that the socioeconomics really have a lot to do with where you either end up going to school, because it's based on where you live, and then it also impacts your ability to afford certain types of education. And I think that the, the other issue is, he talked about it earlier, confidence. And while that may not seem like a systemic issue, the media makes sure that you know that, certain groups of folks are less than based on their socioeconomic status. And that directly impacts their confidence and the ability to go out and perform. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of overcoming a lot of the negative images and the systemic processes that are out there to help, you know, boys and girls who look like us understand the full opportunity that's in front of them. I'm firmly committed to doing it. And I appreciate the both of you for taking time to give this topic some attention tonight. So thank you. Thank you. Most definitely. And, uh, Dr. Levin, you can go ahead and, you know, give your closing parts as, as, you, as you feel. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm not going to lie. This whole thing, uh, it upset me, but it didn't surprise me, right? And I say that it, it, talking about this this most recent rash of parents flat-out cheating. You know, they you're always going to do your best to use your financial means to put your kids ahead, right? You know, make sure that they go to school with a, with a full stomach. Make sure that if you can afford extra classes for them to take that they take them. Make sure that you do all the things to make them the best that they can be so they can achieve the things that they want to achieve. I'll never um, tear down a parent for doing that. But what these parents did was despite the fact that they had all those advantages working for them, they decided to not just try to make their kids better than, uh, than they used than they would have otherwise been. They tried to fake and put forth an illusion that they were better than they actually are. Right? You 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 cheated on tests. You had someone else take the exam. You pretended to be a part of a sport that you could have easily afforded to be a part of. You acted as though you did the workouts when you didn't. That that's what that's what's terrible and that's what rips at the the confidence that people feel would otherwise feel when they look at our system, because you think, okay, well, maybe Chad made it there because he just happened to be smarter and and he just had the stuff necessary. Yeah. He had his advantages, but within him was what it took to get there. And then you look at this and you see, nah, it wasn't within him. He didn't have that skill. He doesn't have that ability. And now you're not, as you're like, Oh, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised because when you talk to Chad, he didn't sound that smart, right? He never seemed to have the ideas. always taking credit for somebody else's idea, repeating what some um, sister said in uh, the meeting before the meeting and then not giving her any credit for it and acting as though those ideas were his and pushing himself ahead and all the time pushing other folks down and making himself out to be the hero. Right, so I can understand people being upset, but man, I'm not surprised. Right? It's one of those disappointing things that you see, wow. Where what are the limits to where you will go when you already have it all? It's just sad. So I would encourage the people who actually have had to get um into uh the muck and mire and had to work hard and to do that degree if it was on University of Phoenix or whatever it was that you had to struggle and do this stuff at night and you've been looking down on yourself because you didn't go through the, the classic university or experience or certainly not the, the Ivy League experience. I want you to take a look at what it is that you've actually gone through. Not just um, in terms of reading and learning what it is that you had in the books, but all of, all of the struggle that you had, right? And recognize that that pressure and that struggle is what it takes to make special things happen. They say pressure makes diamonds. It's nothing but a piece of dirt that had enough pressure on it, and, and it, it was sifted and, and pushed, and, and a, it with enough pressure to make it into something that's extraordinarily precious. The same thing with pearls. It's a piece of sand that gets caught up, and it just rolls around, and, and with other deposits to the point that it becomes something very precious. Right. I don't know that the pearl or diamond knows that it's becoming a diamond, right? And I don't know that sometimes the person who's going through what they're going through knows how special they are and how special they're becoming, but that's why I'm here, to let you know that you can take all of what it is that you've experienced in terms of pain and difficulties and use all of that as a part or a component of your overall toolbox that somebody that's never had the struggle will never have in their toolbox. And there are companies that will respect and value that, and if they don't, make your own, all right, because you have exhibited the grit necessary to do so. So keep trucking, keep working hard, keep saving that bread, and keep listening to us. We'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll be sure to try to give you as much, um, positivity, guidance, and light as we can, as we can, uh, give and you can handle. And, uh, bang, That's all I've got.
0: Powerful insight and opinion from both of you gentlemen, as usual. Um, so I'll give my final thoughts as usual. Um, remember to define yourself. That's step number one that we're gonna deem as step number one is to avoiding the box. But, you know, also, remember that while you're avoiding the box, there is your opportunity to embrace the box. But once you embrace the box, don't let the pressure of said box, you know, let you lose sight of yourself. So always remind yourself of who you are after you define yourself. And if you've accepted that typecasted role, remember to take that take that opportunity to either broaden that box or break that box wide open. And, um, you know, as usual, you can... Follow us on Instagram at Pod. that's B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N, bread, like we bite our bread and we talk about our bread because we always about our bread. You can follow all of us on our social media via our website. It's for my good brother DJ, uh, AjammuLoving.com for the good brother Dr. Ajammu Loving, Ph.D. And uh, as always, stay tuned for the after show where we'll dive a little bit deeper into this on a personal level. So thank you for listening and uh we love y'all.